Well, good morning. It's a joy and a privilege to be here with you today, here in the real Texas, as Murray tells me. I have rich memories of time spent here in this area, visiting extended family. What a special corner of God's earth you enjoy here. So today is World Communion Sunday, which is one of my personal favorite Sundays of the year. On this day, we are intentional about focusing on the global reality of the church, Christ's bride. We get a sneak preview of the end of the story as Revelation depicts it. In Revelation 7, we read, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then from the 21st chapter of Revelation, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Please pray with me. Lord, our creator, redeemer, and source of all life and love. Would you please, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, show us yourself, your heart, and your truth today. Would you show us who we are and who we are called to be in your world? Show us your bride, the church. Shine your light here this day, we ask. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we will see and know you more through your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. In the strong and gracious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our New Testament passage for this morning is from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light for the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The setting for this Sermon on the Mount is given in Matthew 5, the first two verses. Jesus sees the multitudes and goes up on the hillside, the mountain, and is followed by his disciples and others, and he begins to preach. The first section of the Sermon on the Mount is the beautiful Beatitudes, the Blesseds. Then comes this section about salt and light. Jesus says to his gathered disciples and other followers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. 
there are some keys to a full understanding of this passage. The first key I would like for us to focus on has to do with this word, you. In Greek, this word is plural. So in Texan, we say, y'all. Y'all are the salt of the earth. Jesus is addressing the gathered disciples, what we know as now the Christian community. He's speaking as much or more of the way that we together as the Christian community are to live corporately as he is of the way individuals are to live personally. There's to be something unique about the way that we are together, about the way that we live, about the way that we talk about others, about the way that we relate to the surrounding world around us in which we live. Something unique that is to cause other people to say, huh, what kind of people are those? Who are these people? In scripture, there's no such thing as a lone ranger approach to living the faith. It's part of God's very design that groups of believers together demonstrate the kingdom of God here on earth. The second key that I'd like us to look at to help us access a more full understanding of this passage is the phrase, you or y'all are. Not you might be, you could be, or you should be. Jesus is making a declaration about disciples' identity. With his you are declarations, Jesus affirms before he challenges. He tells the disciples who they are before he tells them what to do. Blessing comes before command. Inspiration before exhortation. I find it fascinating that the Christian ethic is become what you are rather than a Greek ethic of become what you should be. In Jesus' teaching, wholeness is God's gift prior to action. Wholeness prior to calling. You, y'all, First Presbyterian Church Amarillo, are corporately a beautiful, significant group of believers trusting God to do a new work in you and through you in this city and throughout the globe. Have you listened, really listened to Christ's declaration of the truth of who you are in him? You are my beloved child, he says. You are of inestimable worth. You are chosen by me for a very important purpose, to be salt and light in this sometimes bland and dark world. But what if I'm not feeling very worthy today? 
What if I don't feel like salt of the earth? C.S. Lewis has a helpful concept that he calls the good game of pretend. Sometimes a good way to become what God has already made us to be is to pretend that we have a quality until we develop muscle memory, so to speak, such that the habit forms us and therefore we are transformed. Maybe this is part of what Paul speaks of in Romans 12 when he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now let's think about, about the characters, traits of salt. What is Jesus saying with this metaphor? In the first century, salt was a precious commodity, so significant that it could be used like money to buy other things. In a hot, dry world with no refrigeration, salt was an absolute necessity for life. Salt preserved food. It purifies things. Today, regarding food, we here in this country mostly use salt to flavor food. The right amount of salt brings out the natural flavors of a good piece of meat. Salt exists for food as disciples exist for the world. Salt that stays on the spice rack shelf inside the salt shaker cannot do its job. It doesn't preserve and flavor food until it is mixed with that food. You are the salt of the earth. With whom are you mixing, adding flavor, preserving health and wholeness and life? Are you tempted to just hang out in the salt shaker with other salt? Sometimes I am. But that's not who we are. Jesus has proclaimed to us, his disciples, that we are salt. This is reality. How are we preserving, purifying, and flavoring our schools, teams, workplaces, homes, and neighborhoods? Are we together preserving the reputations of others? Are we purifying conversations, spoken and typed? <clears throat> I have the privilege of working with some flavorful, salty followers of Jesus. They live and serve our Lord in areas where Jesus is little known. Through their work and lives, they sow gospel seeds of love and grace among people for whom this is brand new news. There's a 17-year-old refugee camp resident just outside of a war zone in the Middle East whose traumatic experiences have prevented him from being in school for many years. He has largely taught himself English against all odds he has a hunger and a thirst, a drive to learn and grow in all aspects of life. Upon graduating from an intensive English course taught by one of my colleagues on our long-term team there, 
this 17-year-old student who had never previously had any contact with any believers, he wrote this. I sometimes ask myself, who teaches them how to be faithful and how to have such beauty of spirit? Why did they leave their beautiful homes in their beautiful, peaceful country and come to live here among us in this dangerous area with tents? It is like an open rose that will never be closed. And whenever I ask the same question, I will get an answer. It says it is up to Jesus, and it is the Bible. I am inspired by the saltiness of these colleagues, not far at all from a war zone. These gritty servants are healing, restoring, purifying, and enhancing flavor quietly and courageously, enacting the good news of the gospel. Salt also cleanses wounds. It kills germs. It promotes healing and restoration of tissue. I've been doing wound care for my mom lately, and we always begin with drizzling a little light saline solution over her, her wound, which she finds soothing. And it's working. It's healing the tissue. Other colleagues of mine with whom I serve are living out their saltiness as healing agents, as trauma counselors, as medical doctors, working with people in hard-to-reach places, people who have been severely traumatized while held captive by forces who took over their homes and villages and killed their family members in front of them. To sit and listen to these group sessions is like Epsom salt soaks for the soul. There's an old hymn, there is a balm in Gilead that makes the wounded whole. The balm is Jesus, and miraculously, as he works through us to be his hands and feet and voice, we become his healing balm in other people's lives. It's amazing. Jesus says to us, y'all are the salt of the earth. In Christ, you are a healing balm, his healing balm. You are the light of the world. In Matthew, we see that Jesus is the light, the light to the nations. And now, the light to the nations passes his light to his disciples, to us. We are the light of the world when we face Jesus and reflect his light. We are like the moon is to the sun. The moon has no light in and of itself. It reflects the light of the sun. So when we face Jesus, we reflect his light to the world. But what happens during a lunar eclipse? 
The moon passes through the earth's shadow and no longer reflects the sun's light. When we are not facing Jesus, when we pass through the earth's shadow, neither do we brightly reflect Jesus' light. What earthly shadows dim the reflection of Christ's light in and through your life? Maybe it's a shadow of entrapping sin or fear or doubt or busyness. Whatever the shadow, the remedy is the same. Turn to face Jesus directly. When we turn to Jesus, his light shines directly on us and dispels the shadows and the darkness. When we confess and receive his healing and wholeness and restoration, we shine his light in the world. As the hymn says, turn your eyes to Jesus Look full upon his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Then we merely let Christ's light shine through us, enabling others to see his good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. The third key to a fuller understanding of this passage has to do with the global reach in Jesus' declaration about his disciples. We are not just salt and light, but salt of the earth and light of the world. Now, if in Christ we are salt of the earth and light of the world, how then Are we to live as faithful followers of Jesus, as particular citizens of particular nations, in our case, the United States? As believers, our first loyalty is to Christ and his kingdom. First and foremost, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. All throughout scripture, God makes it abundantly clear that his heart is for the peoples of the earth all of them. The term in Greek, nations, means ethne, peoples. God cares immensely about the peoples of the earth. Now, political entities are an earthly necessity, and Romans 13 makes it clear that we are to be subject to governing authorities and faithful in our roles as citizens under those authorities. Yet our ultimate allegiance is not to any one nation nor political party. It is to Christ alone. We are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are global citizens called to be a part of Christian communities who demonstrate the uniqueness of the way of Christ. We are called to be firmly grounded in our identity as followers of Christ. We are called to be what and who we are, salt and light, preserving, purifying, flavoring, 
and enlightening. What would happen if most of the Earth's supply of salt and light were concentrated in a few parts of the world? What if salt and light isn't widely distributed throughout the world? If we look at the grand, big sweep of biblical redemptive history, we see the very heart of God. From Genesis to Revelation, we see that God will stop at nothing to rescue and redeem his creatures. God's heart is that all would know him, that all would be redeemed. From the beginning, God drew Adam and Eve in and then sent them out to steward the earth, to preserve, enrich, and give life. God chose Abraham and blessed him so that he and his people would be a blessing, would be salt and light to the rest of the peoples in need of salt and light. God commanded Abram to leave Ur and the Chaldees for a new land, not to stay in the salt shaker, not to hide their light under a basket. The prophets called out Israel for seeing their chosenness as giving them special privileges. Redemptive history's climax is, of course, the incarnation, God in the flesh, sent to earth as a vulnerable baby, Jesus, who would die in our places and rise victorious over sin and death. God led Paul to take the gospel out to the Gentiles. The gospel is an unstoppable force of grace, love, and truth, of salt and light for those who are near and for those who have yet to know Jesus. And yet, the current reality is that the salt of the earth and light of the world is concentrated among certain peoples and sparse among others. I think of the fact that if every follower of Jesus today were to share the good news with everyone they know, there would still be about 2.5 billion people currently living on earth who would never hear the name of Jesus because they have no viable connections to anyone who knows Jesus. If these 2.5 billion people are to learn of Jesus here on earth, then it requires witnesses, salt and light, to cross some barriers, barriers like language, culture, religion, and others, to share the good news of Jesus. Sometimes, though, we don't have to go very far to cross barriers to be God's salt and light. Sometimes, the opportunities come to us, like a couple that, who wandered into my life several years ago. They were bikers, as in Harley riders. Their culture and people are very different from mine. I first met the wife who was in search of a church she could bring her mom when her mom was coming to visit. The wife and husband 
seemed to be far from faith. She an agnostic, he an atheist. He was bedridden in a care facility after a terrible motorcycle accident. She was trying to hold down a job to pay for his care and visit him every day an hour away. After a few months of visiting together with her, one morning very early, I got a message from her that read, I've been rescued from my cliff. She had had a dream about the good shepherd leaving the 99 and going to rescue her, a lost sheep. And she first heard that parable a few months prior when she wandered in and heard me preaching that parable. Several months later, she asked if I would visit her husband, and I told her I would. But I was hesitant because I knew that he had been very angry since she had decided to follow Jesus. The day came and I arrived at the care facility, still hesitant, not feeling very salty or very well lit. She met me at the entrance saying he was very agitated and angry that day. I offered to come back another day, but she felt that was the day. Not long into our visit, the husband who communicated by pointing to letters on a reader board spelled R-E-D-E-E-M. I thought I misunderstood. His wife was in tears. We prayed together, and he was also rescued from his cliff of anger and despair. I left for vacation with my family the next day, and a few days later, I got another message from his wife, which said, he's gone, but he's with his Redeemer. Sometimes we're called to be salt and light in faraway places. Sometimes we're called to support others to be salt and light in faraway places, which you as a church so faithfully do through your prayers and your financial resources? Did you know that you are partnering in work all over the globe? You are literally salt and light through your support of the organization that I serve in Central Asia and in the Middle East. Even if you never personally set foot there, but if you'd like to visit, let me know. I'll take you with me. On this World Communion Sunday, as we prepare in a few moments to come to our Lord's table, may we come with deep humility and gratitude that we have been invited by the Lord of creation, the Lord of all that is, to feast with him. What an incredible invitation to a flavorful and colorful feast. We join believers of many tongues and tribes at his table. And let us remember that our host asks us to go out into all the earth, into all peoples, to share his merciful invitation with those who are not yet at this table.
Thanks be to God. Amen.